0: Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me today longtime friend, dear teacher, colleague, guide. She is the founder of the Center of the Cyclone, which is an immersive meditation experience. She is a fellow sober sister. She's also the co-founder of Club Soda, which is an event series that explores sobriety. Uh, she's been featured in Vogue, Harper's Bazaar. L. Guess who it is yet? No, you can't. She has been leading meditations at the MoMA, at Sundance. She's partnered with all the brands. She's a total badass. She has such a story, and I love her very much. Her name is Beate Simkin. Welcome. Thank you. I love you, too. Mm-mm. Your book is called Don't Just Sit There. Yep. And the subtitle is 44 Insights to Get Your Meditation Practice Off the Cushion and Into the Real World. We can never hear enough about this, of course. But before we talk about this book, there are a few things that need to get addressed. One is the fact that we share a history in fourth way teachings. Hmm. This is not something that is like in my bio, because it's something that hit me in in my thirties when I was an absolute mess. And I found a fourth way teacher who, who came to me actually through Dr. Alejandro Jünger, of all people. Wow! And this teacher is no longer in the States, but it changed my path. Mm. Fourth Way is what you and I share, and so we've always had kind of a kindred sisterhood around that. Mm. Let's talk first about what the Fourth Way is. Then I would like to go into your history and your personal family, everything, and then we'll talk about the book. Is that cool? Yeah, that sounds great. So fourth way teachings, I want you to go into what, how do you define that for somebody if they're asking, what's, what does it mean, fourth way?
1: What does that mean? You know, so, I mean, I just briefly want to speak about my relationship to fourth way too and how it came yeah. into my life, which is that my father was an awakened teacher and he was a fourth way master. And he wasn't someone who, was part of any groups. He did it all by himself, and like he was just this kind of werewolf of um, of mysticism. And I always, growing up, thought like I was gonna be like him one day. And so it was really to my surprise that that actually I'm just not like that. I don't sit alone in rooms for like seventeen days. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like on earth stuff, mm-hmm. I um, I'm more of a group centered person, and I function best inside of packs. So while he was a werewolf, I'm more like a coyote, I guess. So anyway, I studied with him my whole life, fourth-way work. And then when he passed away, I actually decided to make it my, you know, life's mission to, like, make that my practice and devoted my life to... How old were you when he died? I was 28, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that hurt. Yeah, Saturn returned in that one. And so yeah, and I got sober at twenty nine. So and I'm forty now. So i am this month I'm celebrating eleven years of sobriety. I'm
0: clapping and my arms are in the air. My Ooh. heart is open. Oh.
1: Beautiful. But if anyone asked me what, you know, what the hell fourth way was, I would say fourth way is um is a secret form of of uh, spirituality. It's spirituality that's happening while you're, you know, riding in your Porsche or like while you're you know, premiering your film at Sundance Film Festival. It's fourth way work is not meant to be done with a turban or a bindi. You don't have to wear white. You don't have to move to an ashram. You can do it while you perform. You know, you could be a general in an army or you could be um, a politician because it really is supposed to be this way of dividing your attention between your soul and the real purpose of life um, and like the play. Of life. And it's not turning away from the play of life, but actually remembering that you're not its bitch, you know?
0: Dude, everything that you just said, I'm so happy that we're recording this conversation because everything that you just said is exactly what my brain has been missing in terms of explaining it to other people that it's Mm. that you're hiding in plain sight and you're practicing these very precise and often highly uncomfortable observational practices and, and a deep level of sincerity with yourself. Mm. That is exactly what, as you said, it's, your, your, it's secret, but you're, you're still doing all the things that you do, but you're practicing in the same moments. Yeah, exactly. Very good. I'm pulling out, I pulled out all my Fourth Way books, baby. And as we go through what we talk about, I'm gonna just read from them and then I'm gonna start reading from yours too.
1: Awesome.
0: I am now in Views from the Real World, page 92. Man has no energy, and by the way, this means woman or man when I say man. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Man has no energy to fulfill voluntary aims because all of his strength acquired at night during his passive state is used up in negative manifestations <laughs> these are his automatic manifestations the opposite of his positive willed manifestations
1: hmm.
0: so I like this reminder because your entire book is basically based on this truth that we are forgetting constantly To stop letting all of this beautiful energy, this this healing energy that we amass while we sleep and rest and practice, we are wasting it on so many different things, not just thoughts, but also actions and also addictions and also even just certain conversations are a big waste of that energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your 44 Insights to Get Your Practice Off the Cushion and Into the Real World is basically a, a, a consolidation of how to do this. Yeah. Talk to us about why you picked 44.
1: Well, there's actually, according to Fourth Way, there's 48 laws that oppress us on a daily basis. So if we're like, wake up on a normal day, we don't feel crappy, we don't feel amazing, we're just kind of in the middle, that means we're underneath 48 laws that are preventing us from our enlightenment, according to Fourth Way. And I thought that four of them were a bit too woo woo, and like a little bit too esoteric for like the person who was beginning their meditation journey. So I just took them out. And then um, I threw in some that I had, you, you know, organized through my own verifications over the studies that I've done over the last 40 years. And I came up with 44 because in fourth way work 44, the number 44 is heralded as very important. And it's something that I've used as a vehicle of self remembering for a long time. So whenever I see the number 44, I use it as a token of, you know, either to just remember myself in that moment, or to see, wow, you see, you're, you know, you're kind of moving in the right direction, sort of like that hot, cold game that you play when you're a kid. Got it. The first
0: law is the law of divided attention. Yes. In
1: uh, self remembering, which is a great book by Robert Burton, I think wrote that one.
0: Now, it's, it's Self-Remembering I have in front of me by Robert R. Burton, but I also have this one, which is called Self-Remembering the Path to Non-Judgmental Love by oh. Red Hawk. Mm. It's a good one. Nice. It's a good one. His, uh, and I'm on page 105 in that book, Wide Vision, this split attention can include what is called field attention. Super cool. I want to talk about your law, number one, the law of divided attention. How can somebody who is just listening to us right now, mm. my listener has maybe never meditated or has struggled with meditation or has a pretty good practice, but could use a little more uh, clarity in placing their practice into this daily moment secretly just for themselves?
1: What is the law of divided attention have to do with it? You know, the thing is, is that people think that presence is being in a moment completely. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about presence. So you'll meet a lot, of, I don't know, <laughs> you, you know, you roll in the yoga community with me sometimes, right? So like you meet these people who are like really googly eyed and they're, what they're doing is like gazing at you in this really weird way. And they're doing it in an effort to show you how present they are. Do you know what I'm talking about that person?
0: I do I almost want to say no, and I then there's another little sinister part of me that wants to make a joke about the whole thing, but yes, I do know about that, and I feel I feel compassion for those folks because they are trying so hard to make sure that I know how present they are, as you said and <laughs> if you're standing here with me, we're good
1: you yes. know what I mean yes, no, totally. I'm not even passing judgment on anyone. I am just as broken and ugly and you know, human as that person. So this isn't like some kind of a race, but I'm just saying that a lot of people mistake presence for that. And really in fourth way work, um, what they're doing is actually called fixated attention or fascinated attention, which is like a queen energy, which means they're fixated on something in the three dimensional plane, which in that case, where they're meeting me at a party would be me. But what they don't understand is that all their energy is now on me. And so they have no more access to their energy. Their energy is gone from them. Um, So divided attention says, if you do not know how to have at least 50% of your attention or 51 on your soul, on your inner world, you're always going to get pulled out into what's happening in three-dimensional space. You You know, three weeks ago, my house in Santa Monica burned down and a normal person is like, that's it that's what's going on. You know what I mean? Their house is burning down. (laughs) Um, When you have divided attention, like you have attention on your soul. To me, it's like, okay, that's what's happening in 3D, but I'm living 51% of my life in 5D. So what's really happening? I'm more interested in that. And I think that's really relevant to what happens in my life and why people are like, why is she so successful or whatever? You know, it's kind of like, because I don't give a fuck, you know, because I'm not out here being like, I'm going to make it work. You know what I mean? Like I'm just, right. I'm inside my soul and I'm asking the universe or what I call God and I'm not religious, like, what do you want? And sometimes God or the universe is like, I'm, I'm seeing a burn burnt down house. How do you, th- how do you feel about that? Yet? And I'm just like, I feel great about it because it's what you ch- selected. So it must be right.
0: Right. The second law, the law of identification. This is one that was no. That's the third law. Excuse me. The second law is the law of aim. Mm, such a good one. Yeah. I just want to take us through the first few, and then we'll sort of toggle around. Cool. Um, I owe my listener also your personal story, if that is something that we get to, or that would tickle you to share. Of course. The law of aim. You write when you journey into your inner world to meditate and awaken conscious. You connect to your soul. You usher in bliss, attitude, and intention, which is what you call the state of love. Talk to me about how this law sits on us and how we are to come get in front of it or out from under it.
1: Yeah. AIM is, again, kind of back to what we were just speaking about, which is, like, if I'm a business person, which I am, whatever the hell that means, that just means, like, I care about putting pieces together together. Um, and having transactions occur, like in the three-dimensional field, um, a lot of people can get really lost in that. You know, they get so ambitious that they become like super, they become billionaires, let's say, but they're like they've totally lost a sense of connection with the bliss of life. And so to me, aim is really remembering that, like my primary aim is really just to connect to these higher states and everything else is, it's not secondary necessarily. It's just, that's not where it's born. Like I'm interested in a life that has a lot of abundance in it and a lot of money in it and a lot of luxury and fame. I'm, in, I'm into all of it. I just don't feel like the way those things are created, for me, the way that I've created those things is through entering into my primary aim, which is a higher, a higher state where I'm connected to a state of love where I'm in bliss. And to me, like everything that comes out of that state, I'm into. But anything I have to like claw my way to, like by emailing people and like asking for things and like really getting into the nitty gritty of the three dimensional world and being like, Why didn't they email me back? You know what I mean? It's kinda like I just don't want to play that game. And listen, I send I send fuck tons of emails. Like I'm not saying that I'm not in the game. I'm just not in the game. I get that. Like, I deploy, yeah, I deploy my, you know, what do you call it? Like, my personality self to send emails. But when the emails get responded to or not, it's kind of like, cool, I'm going, I'm already back dealing with bliss. Right. <laughs> so, like, the emails either get responded to or not. And I'm just like over here in bliss. It's a
0: level of fluidity. Yeah. The third law, the law of intention, I mean, the law of identification, this this one is kind of the first thing that really created a, a new way forward for me when I was mm. in my 30s. I love that. To learn, I swear, to learn that I was identified with these various aspects of who I was and how I was and how my life was going to look and feel and to disidentify. Mm was very uncomfortable, to say mm. the least. I would go and sit with my teacher every time, and basically he would just stare me down for, you know, the better part of the first 15 minutes and not speak at all. And I would invariably just weep, mm. like buckle and crumble. And what I realized in those moments is <laughs> Sounds that like what I do to my students today.
1: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it.
0: But... When I when those moments were happening and I look back on those times and the, the crawling out of my skin that I would have done, there's actually a chapter uh, in The Overstory, I'm sure you've read, by Richard Powers. Yeah. You know where where Mimi, who ended up changing her name and becoming a psychotherapist, she does that to her client. She basically just sits with them for one hour, stares mm. them down, and the entire world is revealed to both client and me in that in that period of time. But what I'm getting at is in those moments were when my identification with all the things that I thought had meaning, thought had value, yeah, dropped away. Yeah. And the discomfort came in the form of the tears. Talk to us about this.
1: Well I can speak to two, like, you know, in terms of like the past, I was identified with being a heroin addict. I was identified with being um rock and roll, and to me rock and roll meant self destructive and it meant being confused, it meant being lost, it meant a lot of darkness. I I remember when I got sober I had to really let go of a lot of identification that I had with people like Charles Bukowski and Andy Warhol and Basquiat, you know, like to me it was like I just thought those people were so heroic and one day it was like a question mark occurred and was like, what if this isn't Like it's not that it's not heroic, like I'm glad they infused your life. And I love Bukowski and Basquiat and Warhol. It's just that like, what if you don't need to take all of their characteristics to become your true self in essence? And and I had to let go of a lot of preconceived notions about the word cool. I think that I thought a lot of those things were cool. And because of that, I wasn't able to just be me, you know? And all the ways in which I'm not cool, which is that I'm kind of nice and I'm friendly and I like people, you know, which is like super uncool. Like my whole life I was like, God, I wish I could be more like misanthropic and like sit around alone, smoking Chesterfields and feeling angry. all I was just like, not who I fucking am, you know? <laughs> so.
0: Although well, it was who we were for five minutes anyway.
1: I tried for like nine years. I was in false personality, which is I think another chapter, but, but now like, you know, now as the woman that I am today, I'm dealing with much more like delicate and refined levels of identification. Like for instance, like identification with my beauty. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I feel like being a beautiful woman, I don't know whether you have this experience, but for me, it ends up being 50%. I'm a beautiful woman. And then 50%, a lot of beat up of that. I'm not beautiful enough or that I should be more beautiful or that I'm ugly and I'm, I'm disgusting. Give it 10 years, you'll be fine. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm excited. To, I'm working my ass off to, to be free from that. So anyway, what I've noticed is like recently to let go of the identification of beauty and ugly um, and to, to realize that those exist inside of this dualistic plane and they don't exist inside of the bliss plane again, the mind plane versus the soul plane. Right. And then when I like, just yesterday, I was just sitting there and just being like, I am a disgusting, dirty, ugly, dying machine. And I'm also this gorgeous, succulent, sexual, beautiful bombshell. And to feel both of those simultaneously, it was like something got free inside of me where I was able to truly embrace and feel all of my beauty like and beauty and ugliness, like all of a sudden... I was like, oh, this is a mindfuck game. Like this is me being identified with one thing or the other and not free.
0: And then on page 29, you teach us about the verification point to get sort of out from under or or actually live above this law. Yes. You say, notice moments when one of your identities is threatened. (laughs) See how attached you are to things going your way. Consider that this may be identification at work and take a moment to observe ways you identify. Mm. You may identify as a winner. So if you lose, your very identity is threatened. If you identify as right, when you're wrong, you become angry. Ask to recognize these moments in meditation on and off your cushion and split your attention when they arise. You say, such good instruction, my girl. I mean, it worked for me. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's really good. <clears throat> I know we're still at the beginning of the book, but I really, I think that these understandings are crucial to develop a mutual understanding with my listener. The fourth law is the law of shocks. Mm. And this is kind of where we are responsible for creating these conscious shocks and, and loosen up listener on your definition of the word shock, because it's not the scary. Wow. Wow. It's some, some, kind of message for yourself that can be in utter silence, it could be one fingertip on your sternum, where you are giving yourself a moment of complete opposite pause, whatever the shock happens to be, so that you can pivot and change your state. Teach us, Biet, about what this means to you and how you create conscious uh, shocks.
1: Um, The thing about shocks is that they're going to come regardless of whether you create them or not. Um, whether or not your soul will eat those shocks is completely up to whether you're doing the work or not. Mm. And so in terms of food, shocks are food. They're food. Like I, to me, it's like the speed at which I can comprehend God's message for me or the universe's message for me is much slower if I'm not being hit with shocks. So again, my house burned down three weeks ago. And again, my first thought was like, okay, what, what are you saying? That's it. I just wanted to know what the message was. Right. And it was also, I mean, we I know we're going to talk about my story later, but I had a daughter 14 years ago who died of sudden infant death syndrome and the anniversary of her death was January 2nd. And that's the day that my house burned down. Right. And so I just thought that's not coincidental. You know, like it's not, it just can't be, you know? And weirdly, the fire like wove around all my, my scriptures. Like I have a plastic box filled with all my fourth way writing in it that I've been keeping over the last, you know, 10 years since I got sober. And it's all handwritten and like, it just would have been gone. But everything in that area of the Mm -hmm. house burnt to a crisp and somehow this plastic box remained untouched super surreal and all my fourth way books untouched all the other books gone my you know like my just the the sacred texts that i had in that house survived wow and from your dad from my father yeah like all the maurice nickel and you know um
0: that was my next question who's who's he got in there
1: (laughs) yeah it's me i mean it's me as nickel is my favorite i think and and burton is there too um but he's my number one. I also really love Rodney Collin. Um, and I know that's like controversial, but I just love him. No, it's a little controversial, but I don't care because the writing is <laughs> good. It's like, matter. did you jump off of like a church in Mexico to kill yourself? Whatever. Anyway, the point is, is that like I was, I was looking for this. And of course, I learned right away. Like It was like, Viet, you have veered off your path. This is what needs to be recalibrated and I just recalibrated like I listened and I recalibrated now there was a time in my life when shocks were coming at me one after the other after the other and I was just not listening I had two fuck you symbols up in the air like you know something from like an 80s movie with John Cusack and I was like no fucking way like I'm not doing I what had you that yesterday me. what
0: I, I had the two fuck you symbols in the air yesterday, oh, dude. Nice. I had this hour where I completely lost the plot. <laughs> it's nice to you describe it like this. I was there.
1: Nice. Yeah, I mean, we always have to revisit those states, don't we? I mean, it's such a beautiful yes. part of being human. Um, but yeah, like I just didn't want to listen. And the shocks kept coming. And they were getting more and more and more intense, right? And, um, and finally, like my dad died. And that was like the final stroke before I like... I don't, you know, like I was, I was about to become like a high-end prostitute or something. And finally, like the voice was like, "It's you came over, like you lost, (laughs) you know, like just give up, please, you know, like put the flag up. So as, as a sober woman, I had to go into this world of like, you know, life, which I'm not a fan of really. And then I was like, what do we do? You know, what do we do? And so we learned the fourth way work and I surrendered to it. And one of them is conscious shocks, creating conscious shocks. So what is conscious shocks? Conscious shocks is Bikram yoga. Like who wants to do an hour and a half of hot yoga in like a room while gazing at their own reflection? You know, nobody, you know, it's amazing. Like go do that. Or Kundalini yoga or You know, weird breath work that makes you feel like you're dying, or maybe taking a pilgrimage into the woods. Or it could be something as simple as like, today I'm on my way to Krispy Kreme and I'm going to make a left instead of a right on my way to get there. It could be that small. Or it could be like, I'm brushing my teeth, I'm going to brush my teeth with my left hand instead of my right. So creating these conscious shocks makes you reset. And again, just remember like you're alive. You know, like I don't know, Kobe Bryant went down in like a helicopter three days ago or whatever and it's like you don't know if that's going to be you you know tomorrow or five minutes from now
0: i just opened up self-remembering uh robert o. Burton, page 139 was the one that revealed itself and it says self-remembering outlives galaxies and stars each time we suffer a shock we produce a trace of this imperishable divine substance wow good page to turn to Baby, I didn't turn to it. I mean, I opened the book. <laughs> it starred and like, you know, a big bracket around it from, you know, Lord knows probably 15 years ago when I was in it. I mean, I've been in it since but when I first was in it and was like, oh my God, this is it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I love it so much.
0: I do too. I have, um, I have so much respect for how you put it together. I want to go on to – Five and six, because I feel like that's a good place to sort of halt with my listener. Five is actually the law of three. Mm. And I can't wait to hear you explain this because I don't think it was ever sufficiently explained to me, even though I understand it philosophically. I would love to hear your explanation of the law of three.
1: Mm. I mean, I think we kind of covered it a minute ago when I was talking about beauty. Uh, the law of three is, is a perspective that isn't available to humans. So it's like, we only have access to two perspectives, both of which are going to kill us. And those two perspectives are going to be yes, no, like, dislike, good, bad. And the third perspective is one that is neither or both. It, it is in a, living in a state of contradiction. And the law of three says we need a third force to enter into our lives to be able to do anything, right? So on like a super like rudimentary level, it would be like if your house is a mess, right? Which I know yours is not. But do you know what I mean? Like if your house is messing, right? Like you have some crap around whatever. And then your mother-in-law calls and is like, I'm coming over. And then all of a sudden you're running around the house like cleaning, Right. So uh, so that's like a third force in a three-dimensional plane. But I think that on a higher level, like we're just looking at like, again, I'm tired of like dating the wrong guy, dating the right guy, dating the wrong guy, dating the right guy. It's sort of like the little, what is that book? The Goldilocks and the three bears, right? So the third force, the third, the law of three is that third bowl of porridge, it's like I don't know why, but this and the porridge doesn't exist in the third in the third dimension. That's why most people live a life of complete misery because they're either eating a small bowl or a big bowl or a small bed or a big bed, and they're just in therapy all the time, being like, eh, like my problems, you know. It's kind of like so to live in the third law is to say like, no, like I'm not gonna be a, I'm not gonna be a bitch to this dual dualistic plane. Like I am going to find what the universe's perspective of this is, and again. Yesterday, when I had that moment where I was just like, "I'm ugly, I'm hideous, and I'm beautiful," like when I really could see them both at the same time, I was like, "Oh fuck, that feels so good, like so relaxing," you know, (laughs) like as opposed to like, "But I could fix the cellulite," and I was like, "I don't have time for this shit anymore."
0: Right, and also, like I said, within the next ten years, you're going to realize that it's magical that you even made it this far, (laughs) and you're you're just beautiful. Like there isn't any. Ugly, there's just utter magnificence, even on the days when you're sick with the flu. Mm. That's just who you are. The verification point for the law of three is a practice of neutrality with regards to reality, which I really appreciate. It's something that I also learned in Kundalini Yoga from some great teachers. You suggest that when one were to receive bad news, you greet it with the same... Mm sort of attitude as you would with great news, a little bit of wonder, a little bit of appreciation, like, oh, my fucking house burned down. Oh, shit, <laughs> totally. You know, uh, what you ask in the book, what opportunity is available that I can't see yet? Mm. I'm trying to teach this to my kid who's 13. It didn't go super well last night, but it got better this morning. It's like, you know, not everything's going to go well. Mm. That's so true. Can't, you're not seeing it all yet. You can't possibly be seeing it all yet. I'm not seeing it all yet. Right. No. The law of self-remembering is the sixth law. Yep. And this, I think, is it's important to explain this to my listener because we've mentioned it now many, many times. What does it mean to remember myself? In my understanding, it just means, whoa, catch yourself when you're about to scream at your kid. Mm. Catch yourself when you're making. Wild face. Catch yourself when you're getting super worked up over something that just does not call for that level of intensity. Mm-hmm. Explain this to my listeners so that we can be on the same page with you. What is self remembering?
1: You know, I would say it's all of those things as well. Um, and to me, there's like there's self remembering and there's divided attention. So divided attention is just the efforts that I make, and so yes having a moment where i actually see myself screaming at the taxi driver or um, you know being mean to my husband or whatever like those are extraordinary moments of uh, self remembering but another form of self remembering i find that is um, that is more delicious or like I, well, I you know i can't say i would choose one over the all kind of unified but is to see again, to see the divine, to see who I actually am, to see timelessness, to see who I was before I came here and who I'll be thousands of years from now, and to see the energy space that is right above us, right? In Fourth Way Work, it says that the heightened state is always right above us. And to me, self-remembering is jumping into that state. So while everyone is like in this cloud, I jump and I'm like, oh, there's like space above this cloud, you know, and that's actually where I am. That's who I am. I'm not any of these things that I'm identified with. And I think it's also like that state right after you see the ugliness of yourself screaming at someone or being, you know, whatever, like, I feel like there's this beauty, you know, again, because it's like, okay, those are my mechanics, but that's not really who I am, you know?
0: Right. I am called to skip to page 129 when we talk about the conscious suffering, necessary suffering, and unconscious suffering. You say that you're mentioning the passing of your baby, your first baby girl. Now we have a second baby girl.
1: Yes, thank God.
0: Thank God, who looks like Frida.
1: I love her. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with this baby. That's my baby.
0: Thank you. Baby girls on the planet yours, Radas and Gabrielle Lyons. Little girls, I want to. Oh my them. god! <laughs> to get the three of them together because they're all roughly around yes. the same age. That was the beginning of the end of your old life. Yeah, I mean you had other shocks, obviously, but that tragedy really did set you on a new path. That was very major. In in what ways? Can you describe the differences between conscious suffering, necessary suffering, and unnecessary suffering?
1: Yeah, so unnecessary suffering is like everything we do all day long, like shame, guilt, self-pity. Oh my goodness, the list just goes on and on. And does, does that mean that it's not necessary? I don't think so. I think it's actually necessary, but we can actually be rid of it. And that says a lot, right? To say, okay, I understand that self-pity is necessary by the way that it's part of my mechanics, but I don't actually have to live with this, you know, um, as part of my process forever. I can be free of it. Now, I've the way I've understood it as a man number four, which is what we call in the work you know, someone who's tasted enlightenment and yet still has to taste hell over and over again, over and over and over again. Um, and and hello. hello. And so, as a man number four myself, like my journey has been one of dipping back into those states, right? And being like, how about some self pity? And it's just like, oh, right, no, I'm still not working. Okay, great. And returning back to bliss. Then there's necessary suffering, which in the work is described as, you know, losing a child or losing a parent or having your house burned down or, you know, having a terminal illness. Like those are necessary forms. And that's the universe's way of actually burning off your karma and like turning you, sculpting you into the David and those we can't get rid of. And that's kind of something I found very beautiful too, because like once you can be with, okay, well this person's dead and that's actually not going to change. And, or like rape, you know, a, a lot of my clients have endured that and they'll be talking to me and I'm just like, this isn't an optional, you know what I mean? You can't go back in time and take this off the menu. Like you, this is, you got that, you know? Yeah. So that's necessary suffering. And that's gifted to us to, again, to like speed us through the process of becoming and then Mm -hmm. conscious suffering is suffering we choose right so this becomes very similar to the shocks idea except yeah it's similar to the shocks idea but just like meditating for half an hour a day is a conscious form of suffering and one might be like wait but it's so nice to meditate it's like is it really right because like (laughs) most people don't want to do it you know what I mean so like how great is it really you know it's not like ice cream it's like when I have ice cream you want to meditate for half an hour
0: Ice cream, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. (laughs) Both. Both. The law of buffers, this is number 14. I like the way you describe this. You ask your clients, how much joy can you stand?
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't even want to say it anymore. How much joy can you stand, listener? What how do you teach the law of buffers? to your people. This is such a good point in the fourth way work. And, and I don't, I don't think I understood it better than I did after reading
1: your book. Oh, I'm so excited about that. Buffers are delicious. Like we love buffers. We love them. You know, we want buffers in our life because they prevent us from being fully alive and they prevent us from reaching our like delicious, like full deliciousness out in, out in the open. Right. Um, so we're going to buffer them. So anything that you want in your life, and this kind of goes back to the law of seven, right? Or the law of success. It's like anything you want in your life is gonna come with denying force. But some of that denying force is gonna be caused by you. Meaning
0: the, anything great that you receive in your life, listener, yep. you will find that it will come with some sort of opposing force right something that feels exactly the opposite that's called the n- denying force in case we don't get to that explicitly in this interview
1: yeah and buffers are like you know ways that we you know we just don't want to see ourselves we and again you said it so beautifully earlier when you were talking about like catching yourself when you're about to yell or something like that and it's like We just don't want to see ourselves again, because if we did, we would see that we're 50% like these, like like creatures,
0: creatures,
1: creatures, and to truly love yourself, to truly show yourself to the world, to truly become is to no longer be hiding those parts of yourself. Because when you stop hiding them, they kind of stop being so destructive when they're in plain view, like you just shine the light on them and it's like, oh, let's just, it's just ugliness like yeah. then it's not really that ugly anymore it would be sort of similar to like one of those weird animals that lives in the dirt and like has 17 eyes and like 5000 legs and it's like what is that i don't but you shine a light on it and you're like oh that's interesting you know it's like it, it stops being so scary
0: i definitely have noticed that with regards to parenting mm. there are faces that i've made where i'm just like oh, who on earth what what is that and i would go to the bathroom instantly just say, hold on one second. And I would make the face I was just making in the conversation that I was having. And <laughs> wow. See the creature. Yeah. That's that's one of the conscious shocks that I give to myself because that face is unacceptable.
1: Mm. Yes. I love that.
0: We have to see how we buffer reality. We procrastinate to buffer of life. We are pretending we have all the time in the world. We feign apathy toward unrealized dreams. Yeah. Like, I don't care if that happens. It's like, yeah, you do. Bullshit. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah, you do. You care if that happens. Why would you put a buffer? Meditation, you say. Meditation and asking. Meditation and asking. We're on page 76. Empowers you to embrace tenderness Break beyond buffers and kiss the frog, entangling yourself with its messy sliminess. I turned to Jonah after an episode like that, and he has tears in his eyes, and I have tears in my eyes, and we're both sorry, both of us, for the things that we've done or said or whatever or thought, whatever. Mm. Kissing the frog. We're just kissing the frog. We're getting it out in the open. We are apologizing profusely. We are reconnecting. We are dissolving whatever shame was in the way and recalibrating.
1: And what does the frog turn into when that happens? When you kiss the frog,
0: the frog turns into the really handsome prince who just wants to kiss his mom. So <laughs> cute. <laughs> so cute. Oh my God. He's so beautiful. Oh my God. He is. It's such a scandal. He's like, he's now almost, he'll be 14 this year. He's going to be a heartbreaker. It's true. He already is. Oh God. Already is. Such
1: a sweetie though. Yeah. Very, very generous kid. That's what I always remember him as is whenever I see him, I'm just like, you are so sweet. He's a sweetie.
0: I wish I could just go through the whole damn book, but the book is called, Don't Just Sit There. Um <sighs> Can we just go to lot the thirty third and the forty fourth, and then call it in? Yeah, let's call it. What it? What's what? What are we going to? The law of death. Mm-hmm. This is all up in my space right now. I have people twenty eight years old, beautiful girl, dying in the next two days. Right no. now. Yep. Yeah, I've got, uh, oh my god, prayers up to Lucy. I've got uh, death all around me. There's several friends who have friends who are dying uh, there and there are lots of young people, mm. not people who have whole life. I want to understand what exactly you teach in your book when you say, okay, let's rise above this particular law. Let's go get out from under it and get in front of it.
1: <sighs> you know, so I'm like a, a real care bear just to be clear to all the listeners. Like I'm not, I don't even. I, I wrote that book and I don't. <laughs> the way that I teach, like, it's almost like people have said that it's like channeling. Like, I, I have no idea what I wrote in that book. And, but I can answer the question now and it's going to be different. And it always weaves back. Like, that's what when in that book was years and years and years of verifications. And that's why the book is centered around verification points. But I can speak to today, like, I just. Wow, death is so death is so beautiful. Death isn't something that um can be taken out of this particular mix. Like we came to this planet because we wanted death to be part of the mix and I think we made certain agreements so that we could experience those things. And my mom, you know, it seems like I've read a lot about you and your mom and we've spoken about your mom and I just feel like the mom relationship is so intense. And my mom died when I was six, you know, like I just, what is the karma of that? You know, to like, I was almost seven. And this beautiful woman who was like the center of our family, just up and died of pancreatic cancer. And it completely changed my life. Like I actually, it took me like 30 years to identify as the woman, as the baby as the, the soul that I was prior to that, that loss. To me, like after she died, it was like everything was, like I was a motherless child, I was an orphan, I was, you know, broken, I was heartbroken, I was all alone, I, all of these things became my identity it, it, because it broke my heart so much. And then later on, I realized like, no, actually, like who you were was already written, like I came here a certain way. Yeah. And the agreement that I had with my mom that she was going to die, that was part of it, but it wasn't the whole picture. You know, like I already had the soul that was going to and was ready to withstand that death. And so I would say to like any listener, you know, like whatever deaths you have endured, whatever deaths you're going to endure, whatever, and your own death, you just have to remember that it's like, it's laden with bliss. It isn't a punishment. It's laden with bliss and we didn't, wherever we came from is a place where bliss is everywhere. It's not like earth where it's a little bit of bliss and then a bunch of bullshit. Right,
0: right. I want to read you the verification points so that- Yeah, please do. Relevant to the listener and second of all, because I know exactly what it feels like to write something and then completely forget what was written.
1: <laughs> That's and me.
0: Ask what was said and be like, well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> We're on page 162, the verification point for the law of death, number 33. In your journal, write your eulogy. The one you dream will be delivered at your funeral. Mm. If you've ever delivered one, you know the form and style. If you haven't, look up Google eulogy speech for samples. This exercise is a powerful tool to get clear on the precious value of passing moments, hours, and days. It's like a compass rose you can use to determine the North Star of your life, and see any misalignment between your dreams and your daily actions. Based on these gaps, here's the gold. You can then align what you do every day to your dreams, propelled by a new sense of urgency. Hmm. As you, this is very good. Uh, that's why I wanted to read it. As you write, play a piece of conscious music, perhaps something from the works of Hildegard von Bingen. Hmm. Such a smart call, too. Once you've written the have a loved one read it aloud or read it aloud yourself. Beautiful. It's a lot about buffers when anger comes up and sadness comes up that, you know, around death, it's, it's, you're, you're aiming people toward the back to the bliss and the pleasure of neutrality in this one, which I appreciated a great deal.
1: Mm.
0: 44, the law of crystallization. Hmm. You thought I was going to talk about crystals, didn't you? No, <laughs>
1: well,
0: not. Not in this they book. a habit, a practice, or a belief. It melted you so fully, it's nearly impossible to shatter or alter. After thousands of hours of gratitude practice, for example, you can reach a takeoff point where grateful mindset propels itself. Mm. It's actually difficult to leave this state because it's fossilized into your being. When you crystallize a new practice, it typically takes a major shock to lead you back into the waters of an old one.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It's really well written. Um, The crystallizing a desired state. Let's just jump off there.
1: Yes. um, It's so good. This is in this fourth way work called Creating a Deputy Steward. And what that means is we we are made up of thousands of warring eyes. And in the work, it's called eyes, like the letter I. And basically, it means identification points, which are all in contradiction. So I have a part of me that wants to work out, and then I have a part of me that wants to sleep in. I have a part of me that wants to eat carbs. And then I have a part of me that, you know, like doesn't, (laughs) I have a part of me that wants to have sex with random people. (laughs) I have a part of me that wants to be monogamous, you know, like these things are, (laughs) forget about it. You know what I mean? Like, what are we even talking about? So if you live a life where you're being pulled along by all of those things, you're basically just a slave. And And they are, in the fourth work, also described as slaves. They're servants that have been left alone, basically. And they're kind of like, "Do I don't know, do whatever you want, you know? And it's like, what happens when you leave a bunch of, like, employees to do whatever they want? Nothing. You know what I mean? Right. Someone has to be there to be like, now we wake up, now we make the bed. So um, crystallizing is so beautiful because once you've crystallized a certain way, like, it just you know, you see it in certain people, like when you meet someone who's crystallized in certain aspects of their life, it's palpable. Like I remember meeting Maya Angelou when I was 17 years old and I just, you know, she did a bunch of things. She like read me a poem and did, you know, she did her spiel, but it was something about just being in her presence. I started to like shake and cry. I was just so moved by this person who had clearly crystallized something. And so I, I do believe that, when we allow ourselves to pursue these laws and to, to excavate them over and over and over again, which is really what the book is all about, it's all about returning to these laws over and over until you finally see that hideous face that we were talking about,
0: right.
1: you can fall in love with who's hit, who's hiding behind there. It's that whole Wizard of Oz thing, you know, it's like you get mm-hmm. in, it it's like a dude behind, there's no, you know, you thought it was this one thing, but it's like a little guy in a machine being like, you
0: know? Yeah. And then, I mean, I think I have to go back to my own example for a second, but in those moments where Jonah's feeling threatened or I'm, my identity is feeling threatened as the mother of a great kid, you know, and he's getting in trouble or whatever's happening. I have to fall back in love with, the little baby inside of myself and the one inside of him, the ones Mm. who are operating on love only. Mm -hmm. And immediately I remember that everything softens, like all of the things that I think need to be happening. You need to behave like this. And he needs me to behave like this. It all kind of just like melts. And the two of us lock eyes and his arms open really wide and we both start crying. Mm. You know, it's so beautiful to go back underneath where the neutrality is, where the magnificence is.
1: Mm, it's so good to go there.
0: May all parents crystallize <laughs> this <laughs> way before things get rowdy. Mm, for sure. That would be a really good result. I love this quote. I want to finish with it. It's uh, we're, we're back to... 145 in views of the, from the real world. Go, Jeff, straight up. Nice. The point is to reestablish what has been lost, not to acquire anything new. Hmm. This is the purpose of development. For this, one must learn to discriminate between essence and personality and to separate them. Mm-hmm. When you have learned to do this, you will see what to change and how. Meantime, you have only one possibility to study. Hmm. I feel very lucky to be studying and on this path with you, Miss. I yes, do, I very much so. It's really fun to talk about this work that you've done. I'm this is top of my pile right now for some time. I'm actually going to place it right now on Jonah's bed so that tonight, when we do the required. Italo Calvino short story Mm. there's a whole there's a compendium that we have been working with for like the past I don't know almost nine years I guess and we read one a night oh my god I love him so much oh what a I mean every story and most of them are really uplifting but some of them end off and we're just like dang it why we make up our own endings um but tonight after Italo I'm going into your book with him because I think it's actually the perfect medicine for, you know, the moments, if you're a parent, and you're listening to this, I think this will be useful and then I'm going to stop talking. You know, the moment when you have a kid who feels like they can't act better than they're acting because of a certain circumstantial reality. Right. Like, this is happening, mom. So how can you fucking expect me to do X, Y, and Z when this jerk is in my whatever space or this is happening in the
1: classroom or the plate, whatever? And this is like, that's the parts where you're like, okay, you actually have to do it then too, right? Right. (laughs) It's like, you don't
0: need to be comfortable. (laughs) Correct. And I haven't, I don't
1: think I've sufficiently
0: explained this. I've tried- And I don't think I've sufficiently explained it. So I wanna I'm gonna go over some of these laws tonight with him and walk him into what I understand
1: and take for granted. Hmm. So thanks for that. I tried to make it super simple. So like and and not for not Hmm. because people are dumb, but because honestly, I just thought that it was time for some fourth way work to come out that wasn't so complicated in a secret language that you can't understand. Yeah, there are lots of in the,
0: in, in the fourth way books, lots and lots of words.
1: I break them down, and it's it's done for a reason. It's all that's also meant as a conscious shock. And you know, I lead a fourth way school for many many years now, so like I'm I'm in it. I get it why it's done. It's just a matter of there's also space for bits of it to come out into the open and infect people with freedom.
0: Right. Let me just repeat that to infect people with freedom. Yep. So, Biet, your book, once again, is called Don't Just Sit There. And I would love for you to teach us where we can find you online.
1: Um, I'm at Guided by Biet on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I'm Biet or Guided on my website. Mm-hmm. and you can find the book on Amazon and you know Barnes & Noble and any local bookstore if you like to support local if you're in New York City I, I like to go to McNally Jackson it's there as well love. Um, I love yeah I just love local bookstores yeah and I also have a new record coming out in, in um, June so that's going to be cool talk about this one of my favorite songs on Spotify
0: is one of your songs dude Interval
1: Oh, thank you. That one's about death, right? Gosh, it sure is. It's just so stunning. I listen to it pretty frequently. Oh, thank you. (sighs) So dark, that one.
0: It is and it isn't. Mm. You know what I mean? It is and it isn't. It it lands in my ears so often, especially when I'm flying on planes. Oh, yay. Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's part of a different list that I have. I forgot even to talk about your music. If you're listening to this, Biet is an incredible... songstress and composer my goodness thanks
1: so that's all on your website yep yeah they can find it there and on my instagram and connect with me and you know i do all the things i'm a weird little bird but i've I've managed a way to put it all together in a way that fits
0: that's why we like each other it's true we're like (laughs) weird birds you know (laughs) We're weird, weird, pretty birds. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. All right, miss, I love you so much. Thank you for being on with me. I appreciate it. Thank you. More soon. More soon. Bye.